Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we are going to be in episode 25 of The Days of Noah with Martin DeHaan. Let's get to it. Do you know what color was used to paint the outside of the ark? It was pitch black. There's no mention of any decorations or symbols or even a name on this strange ship. It was just a great big black box without tapered prow or rounded stern. It was not built to sail but merely to float, so it had no sail, oars, or other means of physical propulsion. From the description, we gather that both ends were square and it had only one door in the side, while no window could be seen anywhere from the ground. To see the window, one must rise over 45 feet above the ground, and there on the roof of the ark was a small window only 18 inches square with a covering over it. The ark was built on dry ground many miles from the sea. It must have presented a strange sight to the onlookers. Here was a huge box, 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet, pitch black from stem to stern, if you could tell the stem from the stern. Certainly there was nothing appealing about this strange, unattractive structure. And not only was the outside black, but the inside was equally black and unattractive. With the black walls and only one small covered window on the third floor, it must indeed have seemed like an unlikely place to spend a whole year. Except for the faint trickle of light through a little 18-inch skylight, all was dark inside. All of this becomes tremendously interesting and significant when we remember that this ark was a type of Christ. He too was somber and unattractive to the natural physical eye. Speaking of this Christ, Isaiah says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53, 2. We can easily imagine with what scorn the people in Noah's day beheld his labors. How ridiculous, they thought, building a black box that looked like a coffin and predicting a flood of waters when it has yet never rained upon the earth. Certainly it had no appeal to the natural man. All they had was the word of the Lord. If they rejected that, they were lost. If they believed in it, in spite of outward appearances, they could enter in and be saved. All of this was true of the Lord Jesus. Of him, Isaiah says again, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, 3. This view of the ark, and it is the scriptural view, is, I am sure, quite different than most people have imagined it to be. I remember seeing the pictures in our Bible stories, which portrayed the ark as a sleek liner with rounded bottom and graceful prow and three rows of windows for each floor. I recall one picture which had the door in the rear of the ship like a military landing boat. However, the boat presents no such picture. The ark we have mentioned before looked like a huge black coffin. In fact, the same word translated ark is also translated coffin in Genesis 50:26. The ark was a symbol of the death our Lord Jesus was to die, that those within might be saved. This lesson of life through death is written large upon the ark. Not only was the ark in the shape of a coffin covered with black pitch, but even the wood construction of the ark spoke of death that others might live. By the command of God, the ark was made of gopher wood, most probably a species of cypress tree. Notice carefully that this was a wooden vessel. It was not made of steel like our modern ships, but required 
the death of trees to provide the lumber for the ark. Again, we see there is no life apart from death. Jesus expressed it in John 12. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. John 12, 24. We now come to the consideration of the door of the ark. One, there was only one door. Two, it was in the side of the ark. And three, God alone held the key to the door. First, then, there was only one door. There was no need for any more, for the occupants of the ark were to use the door only twice, once to go into the ark and once to leave. There was only one door because the occupants of the ark would never have to leave in a panic or a hurry. Today, in our cities, we have strict building codes, especially for public places. There must be an ample number of exits, plainly marked, so that if fire breaks out or another catastrophe threatens, there will be no congestion and crushing at the exits. But all this was unnecessary in the ark, for the people in it were perfectly safe because God himself was in the ark to preserve them. We have before pointed out the security of those in the ark by the fact that there were no casualties, no sickness, and no death. How clearly the word of God states it in Genesis 8. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. Genesis 8, 18 and 19. Although there was only one door, it was wide enough for all. It is worthy of note that no dimensions are given for the door in the ark. The length, breadth, and height of the ark are carefully given, and the size of the little skylight in the roof. But for the door, no dimensions. It was as wide as God's provision, wide enough to let the largest animal in. It is therefore the whosoever door. No one is excluded. There is room for all. Of course, we know that the door of the ark speaks of another, who himself said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John 10.9 Jesus Christ is the only door in the ark of salvation. He is not one of the several doors, but he is the door, and there is no other way to the heart of God. Jesus himself said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. John 10.7 Or listen to the Savior once more. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. John 10.1 Notice further that this door was in the side of the ark. It reminds one immediately of the open side of our first parent, Adam, who whence his bride was taken and points to the pierced side of the Lord on Calvary, which opened a door into the very heart of God. There is one detail often overlooked when studying the ark. It is the instruction to build three stories or levels in the ark, one above the other. When we recall that the ark is a picture of Christ, this provision is full of meaning. Jesus, while he was perfect God, was also perfect man. He was the second man as Adam was the first man. Adam was created after the image of God. This image of God, we confidently believe, consisted of his being tripartite, that is, body, soul, and spirit, but yet one man. Jesus, too, was made in the likeness of men, Philippians 2.7. Therefore, he also, in his humanity, possessed a body, Hebrews 10.5. A soul, John twelve twenty seven, and a spirit, Luke twenty three forty six. 
We see in the three stories or levels of the ark a shadow of all this. God said, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it, Genesis 6.16. Why are we told this? What difference does it make to us living over 4,000 years later how many stories it had, one or a dozen? Since we believe that everything in the Bible, even every word, has some spiritual lesson for us. And since the ark is an undisputable type of Christ, it must point to him. In addition, we may also see in these three levels of the ark the threefold salvation work of Christ. The inside of the ark speaks of what we as believers have in Christ. May it not point to the complete salvation of our whole being? We are spiritually saved the moment we believe. We are progressively saved as to the sanctification of the soul and shall ultimately also have our bodies redeemed at his coming, justified in the spirit, past sanctified in our soul now and glorified in our bodies future in this same connection speaking of humanity of jesus we notice a complete absence of any mention of noah's helpers apparently from the record in genesis noah alone built the ark completely without any help i may ruin some good sermons which some of my preacher friends have delivered on the intriguing subject of noah's carpenters I have heard and read some sermons in which the preacher pictured a large number of carpenters working on the ark, and yet not entering into the very ark that they helped to build. One can indeed make a nice application of this, namely that it is possible to be religiously occupied, be a church member, and help build the organization, and yet be lost. This would be a good application if one could prove that Noah ever had any helpers. I hate to spoil your good sermon, but there is every indication that Noah alone was instrumental in building the ark. There is certainly no reference in the record of any assistance. This would be in harmony with the typology of the ark. The ark is a shadow of Jesus in his humanity, passing through the waters of judgment, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. This body was designed by God, but the instrument God used to build this body was the womb of a virgin. The inference is that the ark, designed by God, but built by a human instrument certainly suggests a supernatural conception, God's design, and the virgin birth, the human instrument. We conclude with a very practical observation. There is no record of any young of beast or birds or man being born in the ark for the entire year of their residence. The animals went in two by two, with the exception of clean animals, of which there were seven. And they apparently came out the same way. The sons of Noah did not have any children in the ark, and there is not even a hint that the same was not true of the animals and birds. For one whole year there was no reproduction or increase. The lesson should be clear. Entrance into the ark was a personal decision for each one. The parents cannot decide for their children. Since Christ is the ark of salvation, we learn that one cannot be saved by his father's religion. While we believe all babies who die in infancy before years of personal accountability are all saved by virtue of the work of Christ. It is just as true that when these children reach the age of personal responsibility, they must for themselves make the decision. They cannot be saved because of the religion or the piety or example of their parents without a personal choice. That theology which teaches that children born of Christian parents are in the covenant of grace and need only to grow up into mature Christians without the experience of a new birth is absolutely foreign to the revelation of Scripture. To teach that so-called covenant children are saved if they die in infancy, while others who are not children of believing parents are lost, 
is an invention of man and a delusion. God is not in the baby damning business. If you have been taught that you are a child of God because your parents were Christians and members of a certain church and because you were baptized as an infant, I would remind you of Jesus' words. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. Do you know to whom these words were spoken? Not to the fallen woman in John 4, not to a despised publican, but to a man by the name of Nicodemus, a religious Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, a teacher in Israel, a member of the chosen race. He was a covenant child and had been circumcised as an infant. But Jesus said to him, Ye must be born again. My friend, there are only eight adults who entered the ark because they believed God's promise and acted upon it. No one entered the ark by being born into it by natural birth. Neither can anyone's natural birth make him a child of God. You must be born again, John said concerning Jesus. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John 1, 12 and 13. Your religion, your works, your church, your friends, your loved ones cannot save you. It must be a personal faith in the Son of God. Hey guys, I hope that this has helped you. And if it has, please like, share, subscribe, and follow. And understand, you don't go to heaven because your mom goes or your dad or because you're born in America or any other reason except for you have believed in the only name, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, and that is all we can do is believe in him, then at that point we become born again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. May today be the day, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you surrender all to him. And if you know Jesus, don't forget to share. Hey guys, until next week, God bless.